Welcome to the second episode of Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And we are very excited to be talking to you today about two topics. So the first one we're going to discuss is long versus short books, which is pleasingly general. And <laughs> then we are going to move on to a more specific discussion about the genre of bildungsroman, so novels of education or growth. And we are going to be discussing The Go-Between by L.P. Hartley and The Catcher in the Riot by... I can't remember his name, that's awful. <laughs> J.D. Salinger. Who writes The Catcher in the Riot? J.D. Salinger. J.D. Salinger. <laughs> I wrote um, it down earlier because I knew I'd forget. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about those and we're also going to be thinking about them from the perspective of whether nationality of author makes a difference between the way in which those sort of growths from sort of child to man are explored it's a very fancy way of saying fight 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 <laughs> Salinger versus Hartley <laughs> which is the angle I want to take on it <laughs> but um, thanks for all the feedback on episode one guys um, yeah. you seem to be enjoying it which is nice it was really interesting to sort of hear people's opinions on what we said I like the fact that lots of people agreed with, with us on Wuthering Heights yes <laughs> um, and hopefully you can tell the difference already dear audience but i have a new mic now so which will hopefully transform or at least the editing process into something more manageable (laughs) (laughs) um anyway how are you rachel are you well i'm very well thank you how are you yeah not bad What what are you reading at the moment um do you know what i am in between books which is not a stage i'm often in i know um i don't i haven't decided what i'm going to read next actually i think i might go for um Gillespie and I, because it's been sitting on my shelf for a long time, and oh, yeah. um, I've just finished Wolf Hall, so oh, I, wow. can't, I can't quite face bring up the bodies yet, so I'm going to go in for another doorstopper. I'm trying to get rid of the long books I haven't read before I move house, um, ah. so that's with me, that's the plan. Uh, I'm currently reading an enormous biography of David Garnett um, by okay. Sarah Knight, so it, okay. um, which... It's um, it's fun. I'm always I'm always daunted by long books, and it looks like we've segued into the long versus short Ooh, book discussion very very neatly. <laughs> um, and I guess this is my place where I can I can kind of say that I'm hardly a short book person, and I was quite daunted at the prospect of reading Sarah Knight's six hundred odd page biography. Um, but I'm enjoying it now. It took me a while. I think just the first maybe 100 pages, I just kept reading it thinking, my goodness, there's so many pages here. And that was just going round and round <laughs> in my head and I couldn't cope because I thought, however far I get, so much more to come. <laughs> um, well, how about you? Before before we debate in more detail, off the bat, would you say you're a long book person or a short book person? Um, do you know, I, I actually quite like long books in that, I enjoy the process of being completely enveloped in a story over a long period of time. And because I'm quite a quick reader normally, um, I get to read them quite quickly anyway. So length doesn't necessarily, I don't necessarily find it daunting. I do find, however, non-fiction long books very stressful. Um, And I have a lot of them sitting unread because I just think I can't, because you actually have to think with, Um, (laughs) stuff because you're taking on board information and they're always so long and I mean I've got this really long one on World War Two by um I want to say no I'm not even going to attempt (laughs) no I think it's Juliet Gardner it's about um water 
the sort of home front during World War Two, and I keep intending to read it, but it's so long. I just think I can't because and there's so much stuff I don't know about it. So I think I'm actually going to have to learn stuff. Um, <laughs> whereas a book, you, like a fiction book, you can just sort of is not the same level of stress. I don't find. That's interesting because I was going to say, Mike, I'm much happier with long non-fiction books than oh, I am with yeah. long fiction books, and I think that's because. I'm quite willing to be immersed in a topic if it's um, if it's nonfiction. If I know I'm coming to it thinking, well, I don't know anything about this, or maybe I know a bit about it, but I need the parameters that the author's going to set up. Whereas with a novel, I think, um, I guess they don't need to, they need to set up a world, obviously. But I f- I feel like the a nonfiction writer has fewer choices about what they can and can't include because mm-hmm. they need to tell you about you know state of the nation or the backgrounds yeah. to the different people or whatever. Whereas a novelist has made a choice to write a long book at some stage and they could have chosen to make it shorter <laughs> and they didn't <laughs> annoying uh, well i mean hilary mantel is the perfect case in point for yeah. enormous books yeah and i mean that did take me forever to read but only because um i don't have a lot of time to read during the week anymore because i don't i mean i do commute to work but i drive so i don't have the time to sort of spend and obviously I'm reading books all day at work because I'm if people who don't know I am actually an English teacher um, <laughs> so I'm doing that and I'm reading books for school and so I don't often have time to devote to it so that wall must have taken me about three months all in oh, wow. uh, that's yeah. a long time to be reading the same book and that sort of that did actually start to frustrate me and I did read a couple of shorter books at the same time because after a while I think I, I want something fresh but um ordinarily i like i'm just trying to think of a couple of good examples i read last year like the goldfinch by donna tart was incredible and so um well realized the world that i was just absolutely literally couldn't put it down and even though mm. it was, i think i i think it's actually longer than wolf Fortnite, but it didn't take me it took me maybe a week to read because also i was reading it over the summer so i had time to sort of devote to it um but then there are books like for example you know some of the classics like the russian classics and stuff <laughs> we can't get away from yeah, them <laughs> keep coming back to them um they do take longer to read because they're more wordy and it's like you know charles dickens he takes me forever to read because you just feel like you're wading through treacle at certain <laughs> it's just so many words <laughs> so many words yeah um i've got so many people were saying how much they loved the goldfinch and i just kept looking at it and thinking oh donna no, so it's, long. it's so good. It's so good. And the thing is, you don't feel the length of it. And I actually wanted it to be longer. Oh, wow. Mm. Oh, and, I, and I did read The Secret History. Um, That's amazing. Which, yeah, even though it is 10,000 pages long, I did I did, <laughs> I did race you that. That one I did think somewhere maybe in the second half or sort of third, third or something like that could have been cut quite a lot. But, um, but it did feel quite pacey. I think it's maybe more the idea of starting a long book than it is even the process of reading it i just look yeah, and think i could read another four books in the time well, i'm reading that one it's quite daunting and you think well, exactly when you're someone who loves to read and you've got loads of books sitting on your shelf that make you feel guilty um you do you think oh do you know what i'm gonna just weigh up here my <laughs> ratio between um time spent book read yes actually mm-hmm. i could have read seven books in this time and i i was thinking that while i was reading wolf Hall, but it's so absorbing and so brilliant a book that i really don't mind the fact i spent three months on it one book i did mind that i spent that long on was that awful um that booker prize winning one the luminaries okay insane. i mean and it's not an awful book in the sense it's brilliantly written she's so clever 
um, the way in which she reconstructed the voice of a Victorian novelist was incredible. I have to give her huge kudos for that because I certainly couldn't do it. But it was just, you know, when you get to the end and you think, why did I read this? <laughs> Actually do it you know i was talking about this with a friend at work the other day because she'd just finished it and she said is it me or, or did i miss something <laughs> i got to the end and i didn't understand why this happened and i said no you didn't miss anything yeah. they never she never actually said why that happened and <laughs> you get to the end and you think why why okay i was so cross i threw it against the wall and i was like right that's it i'm never reading anything <laughs> <laughs> that does remind me of um Sarah Waters, uh, as someone who writes long books that are very readable. Um, have you read Sarah yeah. Waters? Yes, I have, yeah. yeah. Have you read The Little Stranger? Yes, I have. I love ah, it. See, I, I loved that book, but that was one when I got to the end and just thought, Sarah, you've strung me along for so long and you've not... Sorry, spoilers. You've um, <laughs> you've not um, come to any firm conclusion. All her books before that that I'd read had had very obvious and very not well, did very you, obvious did but, you not think that it was an obvious conclusion well I didn't and the thing is I went and then read all the blog reviews I could in fact I think I did read yours at the time um, and some people were very clear that that it Oh, I'm just going to say loads of just spoilers. Sorry, people. <laughs> some people were very clear that he was the one doing everything. Some were yeah, very, yeah. So, and some argued that it was very obvious that it was a ghost doing it. And some, like me, thought it wasn't conclusive. Because halfway through, I thought, oh, maybe he's the one doing it. I was waiting for a big reveal. And I didn't think it ever came. Well, I felt very much like there were enough clues in the narrative to suggest it was him. See, and this is this is the thing I wish... I wish I had also felt that because I'd have felt so much more satisfied with the book. <laughs> <laughs> and I was hoping I'd find people who point out where I'd missed it and indeed yeah as I say some people did point that out and then lots of people pointed out other things and oh well um, I think that's that's often the thing with long books that is frustrating I think they're often less conclusive than shorter novels and you and I think you feel a greater sense of like you feel the need to have some kind of payoff for investing so much definitely. time definitely I think then, and, yeah I think a novella can get away with being a sort of um ethereal or like oh yeah. here, we've just ended here's a moment in time whereas a long book you think I, I want this to be tied up I want neat yeah. conclusions <laughs> like come on now this is you can't ask someone to spend so long reading something without giving them something profound at the end I think yes and it is and it is a little bit brazen on the point of the author saying, <laughs> it's, it's saying I expect you to spend three months reading my book I expect the publisher to spend loads of money on paper <laughs> is there something a bit sort of um modest about the author who turns in a hundred page work and thought oh, yeah. this this will do i'll take a day of their time <laughs> <laughs> it's all about manners long long, long yeah. works ill-mannered yeah. that's the conclusion i'm going to <laughs> well, let's, well, let's talk about some novellas that we've enjoyed then because i know some people really don't like novellas and they think they're too short and they don't actually go anywhere they can't get into them properly um but i will say i find them quite I, it's like a poem in the sense that you really have to be economical with the words that you use in the mm. construction of your mm. sentences. And I tend to find that novellas are really beautifully crafted. Um, I flip in love a novella, yeah. <laughs> be a bit more sort of, you know, they don't have to be as thoughtful. Did you did you jot down any much-loved novellas? Well, do you know, this is a big surprising one for me because ordinarily I hate this author with a passion just because I just don't like him as a person. Uh, not that I know him, of course. I'm, I'm going to take um, guesses here. Salmon is... Rushdie? <laughs> no, 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 I've never read anything by Salmon Rushdie. 
Um, Ian McEwen. He just comes oh. being so utterly smug. I just can't. <laughs> say. His face just bothers me. But, um... <laughs> but the, yes, <laughs> teal books, the highbrow <laughs> opinions. <laughs> <laughs> smug person. <laughs> yeah, like... horrible face. <laughs> <laughs> really bad glasses. I'm sorry, but. Um, I thought On Chisel Beach was lovely. Okay. It's only that entertainment of his books that I can stand. His others I just find repulsive. And two, and that's why I don't like him as well, because I find from reading his books that this is going off on a complete tangent now, it's sorry. Fine, it's fine. Um, but I just don't think he's got a very nice mind. But there you go. Have you read Black Dogs? No. That's my favourite of his books. And really? Yeah, and I, I agree with you that some of them, oh, Saturday really annoyed me. Um, well, sorry, Entertainment I did like. Um, but. Black Dog's my favorite. It's one of his quite quite early ones, I think, and it's essentially about a young couple and what have the effects of a couple of dogs attacking them while trying oh. to attack them. Um, has has on them and it is a novella and it's it's quite punchy and it's not too not too McEwen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's well. That's interesting. I'd be interested in looking at that. But um, I think On Chesil Beach was really beautifully written. I did mm. find it annoying in the sense I thought there is no way that this would happen to somebody. But um, I thought the concept was quite interesting and the description was really lovely. Um, and there's also another book I really like that's set on a beach. I'm just trying to think of um, Being Dead by Jim Crace, which I don't even know if that actually classifies as a novella. I remember it being a really short. Um, mm. But that was beautiful. Yeah, do we need to define our terms? Um, yeah, what is what is? T- I thought isn't a novella sort of technically something that's less than 150 pages? I was 100. See, in, in my head, and it's entirely what's something I've made up for myself. It's anything fewer than 200 um, that ha- that has more than one sort of arc of incident in it. I guess I, I think if there's just one thing happening, then it's a short story. Oh right. Um, and then if there's a, like a B plot or if or more than one significant <laughs> moment, um, then then it can be a novel or novella. Yeah. Th- that's in my head. I think I'm not sure that anyone has well, particularly you're agreed. You're probably right. <laughs> well, I I did do some research into the definitions of a short of short story back in the day, um, and that tangentially led into definitions of the novella. And I think essentially no one has has agreed on one. But you know, 150, 200 pages. I think those are both working definitions. Okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously, print size can make quite a difference to that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I discovered that m- many of my favourite writers and books um, are novellas or novella writers. Um, partly, I think that's confirmation bias in that <laughs> those are the ones that I have chosen to read. <laughs> um, but well, the three I wrote down that I think are really brilliant. Um, the Love Child by Edith Olivier. Uh, which I I have read because you made me read it. I did make you read it. I made quite a few people read it. <laughs> you you liked it, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it was fine. <laughs> wow, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, for, for anyone who doesn't know that book, it's about uh, a woman who uh, a spinster who accidentally conjures her imaginary childhood best friend into life, and what happens next? The sort of power struggle that ensues. Um, it's charming and macabre all at once. <laughs> um, similarly charming and macabre, Lady into Fox, David Garnet, um, is on my list, and that's only ninety pages in the in the copy I have. And very and just macabre is Love of Seven Dolls by Paul Gallico. Have you read that? No, I haven't, but I do love Paul Gallico. Um, he is one of those authors who he mostly writes novellas, but the the, the spectrum of topics he covers 
It's just so cool. bizarre because he does very sweet, like Jenny, all about a boy who turns into a cat. It's very endearing. Love of Seven, Love of Seven Dolls is about a woman who, or I, I think she's just a woman, um, who <laughs> falls in love with puppets in a puppet show, but at night is raped by the puppet master. It's very, very dark. That's a bit upsetting. It is upsetting, but it is brilliant. Um, okay. And it's, it's, it's sort of told almost like a fairy tale, and you know how evil things in fairy tales are less damaging than evil things in realistic books i guess to the reader none of us are too traumatized by you know snow white's various nemeses or something um it's yeah it's 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 an extraordinary work but when i'm picking up new paul gallico books i always have to i'm not so much on the charming side of him i want i want the dark side of paul gallico (laughs) and i have to find out which which side i'm gonna get at any one time does um flowers for mrs harris count as a novella yeah, and that is that's charming, lovely, and I love it. it. So yeah, that's true. Um, what else? And obviously, of mice and men, most famous novella I would imagine, which is incredible. I did it at school, which sort of. Well, Simon, sucked, if you were in my class, you wouldn't have had the joy sucked out of you. I love it. Um, yeah, if only I'd had Miss Fenn instead of Miss Webb. Sorry, Miss Webb. I'm sure you'll be <laughs> best <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in her defence, I think it was more the fact of my classmates were, were, were not particularly keen readers, and we did end up just watching the film. So. Right. Yeah, but um, you're probably I mean, that probably is one of the most famous ones, isn't it? Uh, Muriel Spark, all of her books and novellas. Oh well, I mean, take one you can't or two. beat um, *Prime of Miss Jean Brodie*. That's yeah, incredible. And that's a novella, I'd argue. Yeah, I don't um, think it's because it's definitely under two hundred pages. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if there's anything that these books that we're saying we love have in common, um, other than length. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what do you think they achieve in the in novella length that they couldn't have achieved if they were? I think it's about novels. the intensity. This is what I'm just thinking off the top of my head now about the um, all of the books that you've described and the ones I've described as well. There's a sort of emotional intensity to them. Mm, that so I think is quite um it needs to be confined in a small space because then that's where you get the tension from and it's it's much like a poem isn't it the reason why poems are so emotionally moving often is because they're so finely crafted and brought within sort of a few lines mm. and you get um that sort of sense of of tension bleeds out of the text as the longer it gets i find it's like you know with i'm yeah. back to anna karenina again um, <laughs> By the time you get to the end, you just you just don't care anymore. <laughs> like, oh, she's dead. Great. Yeah. Thing, like, pages and pages ago. More spoilers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll destroy every book you've ever wanted to read. I think everyone knows Anna Credita dies, don't they? That's not a. Well, I should hope so. Yeah. I mean, she's in a Russian novel for a start. It doesn't bode well. <laughs> so... What happened to her? <laughs> uh, but no, that's a really good point, actually, and because I think because fewer things happen in a novella, the emotions of them pack a, a greater punch. Like, if you imagine Pride and Prejudice, if it had just been about Lydia's elopement or something. Yeah. It would be... Obviously, it's quite an emotional well, thing. Well, that would be a fascinating novel. I think that's a, something that you could tackle and write your own <laughs> of, spin-off. You, should, should I just cut and paste? <laughs> be like, here's, here's my book. It's chapters, you know, 11 to 13 of Pride and Prejudice. But, yeah, if it was on its own, it would be heightened and it would be um 
yeah it would it would be all the emotion of the book obviously whereas yeah. it's one thing that happened in Pride and Prejudice and part of the sort of tapestry or the pattern of the of the novel overall and obviously it is quite an emotional novel in general but yeah by the end the emotions of the individual incidents have sort of mellowed into an overall nice narrative nice. I guess yeah, yeah. hmm one thing I will say about long novels that panics me, I'm completely stealing this from Whiskey Jenny of Reading the End podcast, mm-hmm. is that they quite often come, and which terrifies me, with a family tree. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How... you always know that you're in for something when there's a, a list of characters at the front, don't you? <laughs> well, and that uh... thing you're in for is confusion. <laughs> <laughs> I know, whenever I see those, I think... This means that I won't understand who anyone is. <laughs> what bothers me as well about those longer novels is that they always have this tendency to give people the same names. Why do they do that? Yes, yes. and I guess with Wolf Hall, you can forgive her because they actually had those yeah, names. Yeah, I know. I got halfway through it. I was like, hang on a minute. I swear everyone in this book is called Thomas. And then I was like, no, they actually are. Not- Whereas, yeah, to go back to Emily... Bronte, thank you for the correction, Susan. Bronte. Um, yes. then, um, you, yeah, she had no excuse for us naming everyone in the second generation the same names as oh, the first generation. Such a nightmare to to get your head around that. It's very hard when you're trying to teach the novel as well to be like, right, which one? Which one? Kathy <laughs> one, Kathy two. Oh, and that was a novel which I didn't have a family tree in the version I read, and I had to draw my own out. Yeah, <laughs> I've drawn that many a time on the board. <laughs> people with skulls and crossbones under their names dead dead yeah. <laughs> dying <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's simply like a timeline or anything or, or maps yeah. anything at the, w- mm. at the front which seems to me like an omission from the author that i haven't done a good enough job making this <laughs> understandable so you'll need this like you need all these supplementary it. materials in order <laughs> to understand because i made my book too long <laughs> and i'm thinking if you'd cut this down by 75 <laughs> <laughs> percent you wouldn't have a lovely punchy novella where everyone knows what's going on exactly <laughs> uh, um i feel like i should come up with some long books i have loved in in on the other side of the argument but are there any well, there's plenty that are non-fiction. Like, um, I say that, other even that. Like, things like The Letters of the Mitford Sisters is enormous. Oh, I've I never really read that. I love that. Yeah, it's so good. What have I... I just read uh, Anna Thomason's book about Rex Whistler and Edith Olivier. That was quite oh, yeah, long. That was really... That, but it's really expensive, isn't it? It is really expensive, but it's worth it. It's okay. brilliant. It's, um, and, you know, plenty of mentions of The Love Child. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're a super fan. So. <laughs> um, I'm now turning around to look around my room, but most of the books I have in Oxford are ones that I've not read yet. So it would well, I mean, be I think nonfiction. There has been um, that the book that oh, I can't remember anyone's name today. I've got completely <laughs> book I recently read on Germany by the um, guy who runs the British Museum. whose name I now can't remember, but people will know who I mean. <laughs> Um, that accompanied the exhibition that they did. That was incredible, and that was very long. But it was so interesting, it whizzed by. Because I was like, oh, this is just, every chapter is just fascinating. I'm just loving this. Um, and I have also, what other book did I enjoy that was long and non-fiction? I really enjoy sort of literary biographies. I don't mind them being long. Yeah, that's, well, that is a good point. But I also really love short ones. <laughs> and I often think... <laughs> I often think um, 
that I yeah, if I've got a selection to choose from, like there's lots of Jane Austen, there's lots of Virginia Woolf, etc. I will opt for the short one. <laughs> um, and, that, <laughs> and that is one thing I'm thinking with with Sarah Knight's book about David Garnet, that good though it, though it is and exhaustive though it is, I feel like I would have understood David Garnet just as well if she'd missed out half the references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it must be. This I mean, this is probably a completely different discussion that we could have another time. But I do think. Um, with biography, I, you can tell that for a lot of them, they think, oh, do you know what? I need to just, I'll just put this bit in or I'll just put that bit in. And it's like, well, actually, it's not really, I think they lose sight of what's essential mm, because mm. they know so much. And I feel, feel like they've probably researched the thing for years. And, you know, after a while, you lose a bit of perspective, don't you? And you also want to be able to be like, look, I've spent seven years on this, so I'm just going to include yes. everything I know, <laughs> you like it or not. I definitely felt that with Hermione Lee's biography of Virginia Woolf. Oh, that's so long, isn't it? Oh, it's so long. And I read it just before... I can't remember if I read it when I did a um, short dissertation on Virginia Woolf, or if I read it before I had Hermione Lee as my master's supervisor. Oh. Which is another tale. It wasn't a huge success. But, <laughs> but, 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 but I did, did think... There was, there was a footnote every time Virginia Woolf crossed the, crossed the room. I was like, I'm willing to believe something without you finding I mentioned them in her diary. <laughs> This gave me solace when she was criticising my work. But it all it all ended okay in the end. She liked me in the end. Oh, <laughs> she, um, but I found the experience absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I probably should have been a little more discreet about that. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. If you're listening, Hermione. <laughs> Terribly sorry. Yeah, you should have marked my thing sooner and not just tell me to rewrite the whole thing right at the last minute. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's off my chest. <laughs> oh, dear. A lot of that was about the love child and Lady Interfox to come oh. to come full circle there. Um, yeah, maybe... The, no. I was going to go on some lengthy tangent of essentially me reciting my default, but no one wants that, so let's, <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> uh, my friend Mel always picks me up for saying I don't like long books, because she she doesn't understand this at all. She thinks if you like reading, then there's no reason why you would not enjoy the idea of reading a long book. <laughs> she sort of has a point, I guess. Yeah, well, there is a point to it, but then I think you also have to consider, well, why is a book long in the first place? And sometimes... Mm. Um, Sometimes books are long because there are many different narratives going on at, at any given time. So, for example, Trollope novels are ridiculously long because it's mm. about a million different subplots. But other books, I do think, would be, be it would be beneficial if someone had been like, do you know what? I don't really think we need these chapters, do we? Or, <laughs> uh, like, for example, Jane Eyre, I said this before last time, that whole section with Sinjin in, why is it even there? <laughs> I mean, that book could have been two thirds of the length and much sharper. Mm. That's interesting that you mentioned Trollope actually as well, um, to go back to that. Uh, I've only read The Warden and Barchester Towers and I much prefer The Warden because it's got that sort of singularity of focus and mm. the whole story of The Warden is essentially there again in Barchester Towers but with a whole bunch of other things tagged onto it. And I prefer the, um, the focus at one moral dilemma rather than lots of them. Yeah, I mean, I've read um, Can You Forgive Her, which was brilliant. But after a while, I just thought, seriously, how many people more... I can't keep track of everyone's names, and it does get confusing, because when a novel takes you two or three weeks to read, you've got... Like, I forget who I'm who I'm supposed to be referring but you know something <laughs> happens at the beginning and then they refer to it again later and you're like oh there's supposed to be some kind of connection here and I'm not getting it because I can't remember <laughs> yes. but it shouldn't that that that's the sort of real barrier in the way of 
properly enjoying it and not all of us have time to sit and read for three hours at a time and whiz through a book so yeah. i do think that that's the real detraction from long novels is that for those of us who and i think this is very much a feature of modern life nowadays you get a few snatched minutes to read at a time and i think the novella suits that better which is probably why you yeah. prefer it yeah, I'd love to claim it's because I'm such a busy person. <laughs> let's so let's pretend that. <laughs> it's, it certainly helps with putting a book in my bag to take to work because <laughs> I can't take the like, enormous ones into work. <laughs> um, in fact, that's why I read so many short books, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I can read them in my lunch hour. <laughs> Whereas well, the enormous ones have to wait at home. No, it is about books fitting into your life. And I think... You know, older novels tend to be longer because people, that was the main source of entertainment, wasn't it? Whereas That's nowadays, true. you know, we don't have the attention span either to devote to such long stories. We don't need them as much. And I do, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting. I do wonder with, with say, um, Dickens mm. and, and anyone who was serialised at the time. And paid by the word. <laughs> paid by the word. So yeah. in, in, there's an assignment to make it very long, but also people must have had the same problem when trying to remember what happened early on oh, when no, sort of a year thinking... later they get an episode and they're sort of scrambling through their old piles of papers yeah. thinking, like, who, the, who the heck is he <laughs> some of them went for like two years how on earth did you keep a story in your head for that long i remember when i read our mutual friend i did a, a presentation on serialization and, and our mutual friend at, at university and worked out that the first time that a character appeared for a second time was something like six months into <laughs> it being serialised because it just every chapter for the first nine or ten just introduces new characters. <laughs> they but, must have been like, I don't know who this is. I was, you know, I've had a child since then. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done. And yeah. it's the same with um, Wilkie Collins as well because you can tell sort of halfway through, I think it's the Moonstone that he's clearly changed his mind about... Um, a character characterization of someone and their characterization mm, changes mm. halfway through and you're like well that's actually not what they're like and i looked it up and it was like oh yeah he was sort of it'd been so long between writing that bit and this bit that he'd kind of forgotten about it but because <laughs> the bit had already been published it's not like that you know, he couldn't go back and change it so yeah and there's a famous example in david copperfield isn't there of um the the, the dwarf character or little person character um who appears very early on and is very obnoxious and awful and apparently based on a real life person who sued him during serialization <laughs> so when she comes back she's all sweetness and light and <laughs> just a re reformed that. character <laughs> which is glorious that that makes me love it a bit <laughs> um we've we're in danger of making this a long podcast yes, so we should yeah. probably come to the the decision making time which of you which are you going to go for if you had to choose long or short which are you going for I think because many of my favourite books are long books, I'm going to have to go with long. Right. Mm. And and it will come as no surprise that I will be <laughs> sticking with short. There we go. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to introduce us to the second half? Yeah. So um, for some reason, I came up with this random topic um, <laughs> about buildings from Rome and the use of... I wanted Because we were talking about doing an American versus British novel. Mm. So, after i said there was no american classic last after, time yeah. which I... thought, well let's let's do something with that and then you said to kill a mockingbird which then i misread to be the catcher in the rye for some reason i don't know how that even <laughs> happened um and then i suggested well let's do the go between versus the catcher in the rye as being sort of too link, linked by the genre but 
one American, one British, to see whether we could perhaps have a look at what kind of style is different about them, what makes one British, what makes one American, etc., etc. So that's what we're going to talk about. And do you want me to start? Um, sure, I'll go for it. Okay, so I have just reread The Go Between, so it's fresh in my mind, not for Catherine and I, but I, did, I feel like I read it last year, so I've got, I'm vaguely up on them. And what's really interesting, and that I didn't even really think about beforehand, is that they're both written around the same time, but they're completely different in the sense that The Go Between is sort of set in the the it's the year 1900 is when the events happen and it's told from the perspective of a man in his 60s so in the contemporary sort of 1950s when the book was written mm. looking back on this fateful summer of his childhood and um whereas Catherine the rye the narrator stays the same age he's a teenager and he's not looking back on his life and i wondered whether there is something quite nationalistic in the way in which that sort of coming of age is approached the fact that I always tend to find that British novels tend to be quite nostalgic in a way that American novels aren't as much that's really interesting um is it our, our, our greatest days are behind us <laughs> <laughs> America is the new world <laughs> no, I do think um, that there is a very much a sense of that actually in British novels it's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, there certainly isn't the go-between, isn't there? And I should I should be honest now um, and say <laughs> I, I read the go-between in two thousand and seven and Catch in the Rye in two thousand and five. So <laughs> um, I'm completely all over these. I hope, hopefully that means that my opinions have um, settled <laughs> and that I remember very strongly how I responded to them. I, my opinions tend to get stronger the further away I am from a book. So something <laughs> that I mildly dislike at the time will become a book I absolutely hate. <laughs> five years later um actually yes before we go any further i should establish uh, how you feel about these books oh okay yeah um i love the go-between it's one of my favorite novels actually ah. because i love i mean lp hartley's writing i think is extraordinary um and it's a very evocative and powerful book i don't necessarily i think the ending is a bit strange and i don't know whether i would have I actually forgotten how it ended, and then I reread it. I finished rereading it this morning, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot that happened. That's really interesting." <laughs> um, and I, I feel like it would have been more effective if it had ended earlier. But I won't say anything more because people haven't read it. Um, and the country in the right, I actually really didn't like the first time I read it because I was a teenager when I first read it, and I thought, "Oh, this is rubbish. I don't understand why everyone says this is such a." Good mm-hmm. And then when I reread it a couple of years ago for, um, I didn't reread it for school. Um, I didn't teach it, but I think I did a book club on it or something. And I was like, wow, this is actually amazing. And I think coming from the perspective of someone who left their teenage years behind, I could see how much more of a vulner- the vulnerability in his character. And I felt so much more sorry for him as a narrator. And I was also in awe of how realistic the voice of a teenager was recreated, which I think as an adult was really hard to go back into that state of mind and to produce that voice that's so authentic so i think they're both brilliant novels okay because mm. i really liked the go-between um i thought that doesn't surprise me <laughs> yeah i mean come on it's uh, uh nostalgic for the early 20th century yes please <laughs> um and i absolutely hated catcher in the rye so again so. that doesn't surprise me because <laughs> when i first texted you and suggested 
To Kill a Mockingbird versus Catching the Rye, which I think is where To Kill a Mockingbird yes. came into the mix. Yes. And you replied with, gosh, but how could anyone choose? I thought you were being sarcastic because <laughs> I, I thought To Kill a Mockingbird, which hopefully we'll discuss in a future episode, um, is just so brilliant and Catching the Rye is awful. <laughs> so <laughs> to me, it's to me, pair up Catching the Rye versus almost anything and it's not going to be difficult for me to decide. <laughs> but hopefully you can persuade me otherwise or you're already starting to. But my issue with it was I read it when I was 19, so I was clinging on to my teenage years and I, I think it was already too late to read it and empathize with yeah. with the character although I don't think there's any stage in my life in which I would have empathized with him because he's so freaking annoying <laughs> he's just he's this he's just this this sort of quite privileged um boy who nothing is really wrong in his life well, his but brother, he just hates his brother every- died I'd forgotten that. Okay, something right. <laughs> something's wrong in his life. Nothing's really wrong in his prospects. Then maybe I don't know. It just it seems like most most of what he seemed upset about was just being alive and just everyone being a phony, but without ever defining what phony meant or how he was different from anyone else. Oh, I just uh, I I don't know me later that it could be a spoof, and then I thought maybe I'd really like it, but I think it wasn't. <laughs> but essentially all I remember about it is the tone and how much it annoyed me I remember nothing that happened in it. <laughs> so, so I prepared brilliantly for this podcast in my defence I only learnt we were discussing it a, a minute before we started so. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault it's wrong. Um, I, do you know, I can totally see what you mean um, but I think it's this has come about as well for me working on a daily basis with teenagers is that you forget how self-centered the world of teenagers is and how utterly absorbed they are in their own minds Mm. and their own worlds. And they're very, very much unable to see beyond their own experience um, and beyond their own privilege as well, actually. And that's not, I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way, Mm. but every teenager is the same. And you only realize that as you get older and you look back and think, oh, what an idiot I was all the time. Um, It's so embarrassing. But you don't realise that at the time because you're just in, you're so much in yourself, in your own mind. Um, and I, that recreation of that state of everything being, and, and everything's a disaster and everyone's horrible and everything's just, you know, a nightmare. And you can't rationalise things with yourself either. So do you think it's better, and, I, and this I might be able to get on board with, as a as an observation of a sort of, sort of person rather than like a celebrated spokesperson for a sort of person? I think so. I mean, I didn't relate to it as a teenager at all either, because I just thought this is so far away from my own experience of being a teenager that I can't um, I can't relate to it at all. And I don't understand mm. why people would expect me to read this and be like, yeah, this is totally how I feel all the time. <laughs> but I think when you come back to it as an adult and you read it, I think you do recognise more of yourself at that age in it. You recognise oh, no. that sense of, of you know, the world being so small for you and being and everything seeming so difficult, even though as an adult you can read it and think, well, why didn't he just do this, this and this? But as a teenager, you can't go through those thought processes because you don't have the maturity. This is the thing about being a teenager that is the frustrating thing. And you can feel that frustration in his words is that you're experiencing emotions that you don't have the maturity to deal with. And that sense of being on the cusp of becoming someone whose stuff is starting to happen to. So you're starting to experience the things adults are experiencing, but you don't have the experience and the maturity and the strength to cope with them so it it just becomes a state of constant mental turmoil I think that um I find really interesting and 
to connect it with The Go-Between, what I find also really interesting is how both of these novels explore the failure of adults to um, sort of help children in a way. Mm, mm. In The Go-Between, it's the manipulation of this little boy who, you know, he is so innocent and doesn't understand what's happening around him. And even when he does understand and he's kind of appalled by what he's doing, he's still manipulated by these grown-ups into doing things. And that actually destroys him. Um, We should say, for anyone who's not familiar, that what he's doing is acting as a go-between between a man and a woman who are having an affair. Yes. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Yes, <laughs> um, and he he never gets over it. What what he, what he's seen and what he's done, and um, it ruins his life in a way. And he reminded me very much, actually, of Posner in the History Boys. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah. And, well, I've seen the film. <laughs> oh, you've seen the film. Well, in the um the actual play, the the play text and the play version, the end. The Posner is this sort of tragic character, and the ending is different in the play than it is in the film. Oh, okay. Um, and he is he's also destroyed by what happens to him as a child and I think there is a sense of that in um, The Catcher in the Rye because clearly his parents are traumatised by the death of their other son Mm. and they've sent him off to boarding school and they've kind of just left him to get on with it and that lack of ability to communicate with and sort of help their child has I think probably partially contributed to his his mental difficulties, his inability to cope with the world around him. But I think there's also, when you read those books as an adult, you also see in that the fact that, as as we all know, as you get older, you don't, life doesn't become easier. You don't have all the answers and children look to you for answers and they look to you to be responsible and to know how to cope with everything. But you don't. And mm. that kind of dawning of innocence on the of 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 experience sorry on those children and the veil being lifted from their eyes and then realizing actually they don't know what they're doing either is i think for all of us can know it we can think we can all remember that time when that realization came to us that like hang on a second adults don't know what they're doing either and (laughs) um, this is actually quite scary and it is um to think that we're all sort of fumbling in the dark a lot of the time and that that's why I find buildings Roman so interesting as a genre because you can so utterly relate to them, and I love reading them now at, at my age. I mean, I'm not even old, thank goodness. <laughs> not quite. Yes, we're both in both in our twenties. <laughs> <laughs> just um, it's just thinking like, oh, you know, because I thought by the time I was, you know, 29 as I am now, that I'd be t- totally sorted and. Um, yeah, I'd be able to make really sensible decisions all the time and everything would be fine. Um, and I'd know what I was doing with my life and realizing that actually I don't. And I'm still inside about 15 and feel like a fraud on a daily basis. But it, This has got so deep, so philosophical. No, no, I've, got, I've got a bit um, psychological here. I feel like I'm your counsellor now. It's great. <laughs> Listen, Simon. Um, I'll, start, I'll send you my bill. <laughs> it's that, just that wonderful and kind of bittersweet poignant sense of kind of disillusionment I suppose but not in a negative way but just in a kind of like yeah this is this is what it's like and I think both of those books encapsulate that moment really powerfully but I I do find it interesting the way that a British person has felt the need to explore that through looking back to the past whereas the American novel is one that's very much rooted in its present. And the fact that um, Holden, the narrator, hasn't actually grown up that much yet by the end um, is quite interesting to me. 
Well, there's a huge amount there for me to respond to, and I'm trying to think what it was. Monologue here. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's great. But um, trying to think which part to respond to. Um, I think what you said about the helplessness of, of children or, or young teenagers, um, particularly at the time described in The Go-Between, is really interesting and it's encapsulated for me. And do you remember the scene? Well, you've just read it. You had the scene where he um, his he wants can't wear hasn't got a summer suit and yes. needs to change his suit. And partly as someone who is constantly too hot, who's <laughs> um, <laughs> just always miserable in summer, I can empathise hugely with with that part. But also just the, I guess it's a class thing as well. But also that sort of shame that not being able to sort out the situation, mm. not wanting to ask for help with it. Um, and also just a period where people had to be constantly dressed in very fancy clothes that came with yeah, lots of layers. Like um, sounds horrendous. Um, <laughs> the the other accolade I can give to the go-between, which I'm afraid isn't anything to do with what you were saying, but, but <laughs> it's the only time in fact or fiction that I have found sport interesting. <laughs> so, that cricket match is compelling, That isn't cricket it? match. Isn't it brilliant? Because I... I fully hate sport and the idea of sitting down to watch any sort of sporting match just I just don't know how people get through it but <laughs> that cricket match it's, it's, it's just written about so brilliantly it is I you know, I was thinking that as I was reading it actually I thought well, this is the first time I found a cricket match interesting <laughs> and I don't even know what it is about it. I guess it's because it becomes a sort of short story in itself the, the cricket match yeah um, and I guess sports fans would tell me that that's how regular sport is but but they're wrong. So this, this, is, this is the one time in the history of sport that it's been good. So. Um, thanks, LP. You've, you've, um, you've done as a service. I should say I've been to a total of half a cricket match in my life and thankfully it rained. So. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate the experience. Sorry that I'm not a better person. Uh, have you... Um, seen the film of the go between i haven't actually no i mean i i know it wasn't judy christie in it I, she was the yeah front cop that my sister did it for gcse and she had the that edition when i was growing up so that's the one i read with her judy christie's face uh, yeah good grief it's boring <laughs> <laughs> so the script was written by harold pinter no believe it or not yeah. <laughs> Um, and it is full of Pinteresque pauses. And I love Harold Pinter, um, but it was not a great match to my mind. <laughs> the, um, well, the I imagine it's quite a difficult thing to put on screen because it's so much of it is inside his head. Yes, and, and the route that the old Harry Pinter took was lots of close-ups of Deadly Nightshade. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which may not have been the route that anyone else would have taken. <laughs> I think I fell asleep watching it. I should watch it again. It's probably brilliant. It's probably a masterpiece of modern cinema. But <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> but, but to, to my mind, no. I'd, I'd have appreciated more dialogue. But Judy Christie was wonderful, as Judy Christie always is. Well, quite. Yeah. Um, sorry to go on for about uh, tangents from the books, but um, a book I read last year that was really brilliant was um, Joanna Rakoff or Rakoff's um, My Salinger Year. Have you come across that? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Oh, I think you'd really like it. It's it's about it's nonfiction. It's a year that she worked in uh, J.D. Salinger's. I think it was literary agency. Yeah. Um, well, not not one he owned, but the one that that had his rights. Yeah. And things. Um, she was mostly in charge of the fan mail in the 90s I think it was 90s, 80s, 90s and um, it did, did end up talking to him on the phone quite a lot etc and even as someone who didn't enjoy his his book I found it absolutely fascinating seeing 
the way that people who did love it wanted to engage beyond that and wanted to get in touch and also the way that this figure who obviously famously reclusive had this had built up this sort of cult around his himself whether deliberately or not yeah. and and the way that those who had to deal with him professionally coped with that so there's also lots about her own life as well but um those i think she had a unique perspective on a really fascinating part of the publishing industry or the literary agency industry and yeah i heartily recommend it made me definitely want to it almost made me want to reread it. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't go and reread it, but, but the thought was there. The thought was there. Because she, I think she hadn't read much of him, or hadn't, or obviously hadn't written much. But she, she wasn't a huge fan when she started working there, and it changed her mind. She, she grew to love him while she was there, love his work. And in fact, I've just got a copy of her first novel that I think has been published in England for the first time. So I should wow. see how that goes. But I love any of that sort of stuff, behind the scenes stuff it was, um, of the writing industry. Always fascinates me. Well, no, I find that really interesting as well. So that would I would be interested to read that. I should put that on my wish list. Mm. It was on my top ten books I read last year. Well, <laughs> so. In that case, it's a must read for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. As were, in fact, some of these novellas we're talking about. <laughs> uh, um, what else to say about these? You got any, any more thoughts on? Well, those? I mean, I just I've, can, I'm trying to think how. Um, have you read any buildings Roman that you think are particularly interesting? Um, well, to kill a mockingbird is a buildings Roman. That's true. Well, see, I I need to define that term as well. So, in my mind, buildings Roman goes through from, sort of from birth to death. Mm. Are, are you thinking of more of a, like a sort of coming of age? Yeah, period? I mean, coming of age in novel of growth, that kind of thing. I don't, I think it's it's broader than just okay. birth to death. Yeah. Um, in which case, definitely *Tickle the Mockingbird* and *I Catch the Castle*. I would also. Oh, I love list, that bit. Which is brilliant. Um, we need to discuss that more in a future episode, in fact, because <laughs> I was thinking we should definitely pair, pair that up with. Um, guard your daughters yeah. d- debate those <laughs> but spoilers for a future episode <laughs> uh, it's weird coming of age is one of those and I guess Women's Roman is one of those terms that I will be put off by if I see it on the back of a book oh, really? and and yet there are plenty that I like It's <laughs> as usual my prejudices crumble as soon as I look at them <laughs> uh, I just I always think if it's going to be someone who you know discovers I know drugs and sex or something, and then obviously none of the books we're talking about does they, do those things happen. But, I well, think it's more. It does a bit. Buildings Roman tend to be more about loss of innocence, I find, than more than anything else. Like I'm just thinking of another good example I read recently. So like the Death of the Heart or the House in Paris by Elizabeth Bowen. They're both good examples of mm, mm. You know, children's innocence being corrupted and them having their eyes open to the realities of often sordid things in the adult world. <laughs> um, so and um, I'm just trying to think of anything else um, that's good. But I mean, I I actually really like them as a genre. In which case, I would recommend um, Virginia by Jens Christian Grondahl or Jean Jens Christian Grondahl. Not sure. This loops back to our translated fiction, no, in fact. It? So I think so it's so fresh and referential. Aren't we just? Two episodes in, and we're essentially just repeating the first one. <laughs> I can't remember, it's as awful now that I can't remember where he's from. I'm going to say that he's Dutch, but he probably isn't. Um, we'll go with that. And to my mind, it's, and so leaping back to the beginning of the episode, it's, it's a it's a better version of Atonement, to my mind, okay. in that it's all about guilt. The story is um, this young boy who, during World War Two, 
accidentally discloses the location of of a, a hidden I think it's a hidden duo or hidden enemy in some way from the Nazis and she she is killed by the Nazis um, and he thinks that someone else knows about this but and, but it's never discussed and then as an adult you you it's sort of split into two the second half uh, he is an adult and he um is dealing with that guilt and learns new information he didn't know at the time etc and it's a novella (laughs) but um fits in so nicely it's it's essentially the air text for this podcast (laughs) it's the platonic ideal of this of this podcast well (laughs) i feel like i said platonic ideal last time as well you actually did (laughs) they're gonna get that into every (laughs) podcast (laughs) because i'm pretentious but i don't know very much (laughs) (laughs) my reference points will always be the same <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how so, by a small lexicon of very fancy words repeated <laughs> frequently and i like that you've got building to a man i think we should always try and find uh, <laughs> ways of talking about our, our topics in other languages yes <laughs> <laughs> oh dear then someone could translate a podcast and it'll come really come full circle do you prefer the original podcast or the translated podcast <laughs> I've still got ideas about our station. <laughs> <laughs> when we hit the big time. <laughs> yeah, when we're viral. Obviously, this will need to happen. <laughs> but, I, mean, it's, I just think that we... Um, I find it really interesting as well, the way that all books just tend to loop back onto each other, don't they? The connections are just so yeah. heavy buried. They really do. Okay, so, I mean, buildings from wise. I don't really know where I was going with this discussion at all. But um, I think, for me, there is... I think there's more to be more depths to be plumbed when it comes to um, the differences between nationalities and buildings remand, which I don't feel like we can go into adequately. No, we've already touched on it, but we're already um, been talking for so long. <laughs> I know we've just been rambling today, um, but that is something that I would like to think about and maybe come back to in future. But I'd also very much appreciate people's comments about that who perhaps have read more widely in different cultures buildings around than i myself have seeing as i don't like books written in translation <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, virginia that's there's one there's one from another language yeah. uh, language to be de- determined later <laughs> but, <laughs> um i mean, yes so if you can think of another two books you can pit against each other to discuss that further do let us know and in fact in general we'd love to know suggestions for for books or authors to to pit against each other for the second half of our podcast i think the first half is a lot of ideas we have that we for things we want to vie against each other but it's harder to think of the books or authors yeah. maybe but to, to, yeah, to, to conclude on this one it's no secret that i'm going to be sticking with the go-between of the two but if you have if you have captain the versus the go-between rachel which which are you going to choose oh I like it always comes as a surprise to you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> to like, oh, you're going to ask me to choose. I didn't even see that coming. Um, I oh, I don't think I can because they're so different. I don't think it's an either or for me on that one. Um, you're breaking the rules of the podcast. I know, I'm sorry. Hang on, let me think of, think of deciding factor. Just imagine um, you could only read one of them ever again for the rest of your life. Oh, then it would have to. I'd have to pick the go-between. There we go. There we go. Put on the spot, you could decide. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as usual, although we have suggested a bunch of topics this time, maybe we have decided our topics for next time, but we haven't, we have not set them firmly, but we will surprise you with them next time. Good people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 